0: Where we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and chapter twenty one has served as an introduction into the final days of Jesus Christ's life before the crucifixion. We notice that in Matthew chapter twenty one, when Jesus was making preparations to go into Jerusalem, that those preparations reflected a plan that God had for Jesus entering Jerusalem. Jesus is acting according to that plan when he sets up the, the whole donkeys carrying him in and the people are, are are saying Hosanna. Everything that's unfolding is according to a plan that Jesus is just following. And Jesus is going to go immediately to the temple and he is still functioning according to the plan. The people were saying Jesus is a prophet They were giving him a king's welcome, and they were saying things that certainly gave indication that he was perhaps the Messiah. Well, Jesus is heading to the temple, and he's going to do some things that make it very clear who he says he is, acting right according to plan. Think about the significance of Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the potential king And making his first move to the temple. Incredible significance. Look with me at 1 Chronicles. 1 Chronicles chapter 17. Flip over there with me real quick. 1 Chronicles chapter 17 verse 14. Is a promise given to David. About his son who will be seated on the throne in Jerusalem. And First Chronicles 17, 14 says, I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. That promise given by God to David gave the people the hope that someday there will be seated on the throne a son of David that would actually be established in the house of God and that it would remain so forever. That little promise right there is what the people have held on to in looking for the Messiah. They are expecting a Messiah who is a king who is seated on the throne of God in the temple. And here you have Jesus coming into the capital city of Jerusalem, the city of David, with a king's welcome, and the first place he goes is the temple. Can you hear the echoes of Old Testament fulfillment? This is the plan of the Father unveiling the person of Christ, and he heads straight to the temple. Now let's look in detail at what he does once he gets to the temple. So let's flip over back to Matthew chapter 21, and let's look in verse 12. Matthew 21, 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. So the first thing that Jesus Christ does when he gets into the temple in Jerusalem, the city of David, is he goes in there and he starts ripping the place apart. He starts turning tables over, throwing chairs. Have you ever been around somebody that's, flipped over tables, and thrown chairs around, it's a little unsettling. I mean, think about yourself next Sunday morning in Sunday school. You're sitting there, you're enjoying the teaching of the teacher, everything seems normal, then all of a sudden, I bust in the room, I flip over the teacher's table, and I start chunking chairs against the wall. You think I'll have your attention? I suspect I would. You'd probably be sitting there wondering yourself, what are you doing and why? What is going on right now? I mean, it's hard to overstate just the shocking nature of what Jesus Christ has just done. He's walked into the temple and he's driven out these people. He's thrown chairs, turned over tables. He has got their attention. And when he has their attention, he says the following words. It is written. My house shall be called the house of prayer. But you are making it a robber's den. Jesus gets their attention and he just says one sentence to them. But this sentence is packed full of meaning. When Jesus says, it has been written... He is pointing out to the fact that he is pulling something from the Old Testament. And he gives us two phrases here My house should be called a house of prayer, you are turning it into a robber's den. Both of those phrases find full meaning in the Old Testament picture that Jesus pulls from when he gives these statements. When he gives these statements in the temple, he is making it clear he's pulling from the Old Testament. And we will find exactly what Jesus Christ means in this short phrase when he grabs their attention and makes this proclamation. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 56 because that's where this first one comes from. It is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Isaiah chapter 56. And that phrase comes from verse 7. It says, even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Now, in the beginning of verse 7, even those, that pronoun those refers to foreigners ...who have joined themselves to the Lord. Verse 6. So foreigners, non-Israelites... ...who have joined themselves to the Lord... ...if they come into the house of the Lord... ...and offer sacrifices... Because they have joined themselves to the Lord, the Lord has deemed their sacrifices acceptable to him. And he says, my house is to be a house for everybody and anybody who joins themselves to me and seeks to worship me. So the passage in Isaiah communicates that God's house is meant to be a place for worship. True worship that comes from the heart of anyone and everyone who wants to join themselves to following the Lord. So the house of the Lord is supposed to be a place for worship for anyone who comes to follow the Lord. My house should be called a house of prayer. That little phrase finds its meaning in understanding what's happening here in Isaiah and what Jesus wanted them to understand about what he was saying. So Jesus says to the people, after he gets their attention, this place is supposed to be a place of worship for anyone who wants to worship me. And then he gives them this indictment, this accusation. But you are turning this place that's supposed to be a place of worship into a robber's den. Again, this is language language. Straight from the Old Testament. And this particular phrase finds its further meaning in Jeremiah chapter 7. So let's flip over to Jeremiah chapter 7. Just a little bit to the right there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Jeremiah 7, 9 through 11. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, and offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered, that you may do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight. Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. Jeremiah is saying of the people that you guys are coming into the house of the Lord and you're going through the actions and the motions of worship in the house of the Lord And you actually believe because you're going through the actions and the motions of worship in the house of the Lord that somehow God's going to protect you just because you're going through those motions. That somehow God's going to bless you just because you have the temple and you're actually acting like you're worshiping God. And Jeremiah is saying, no, that's not the case God is not going to respond to your actions of worship when those actions are empty and meaningless because the rest of your life is a decree of wickedness. You outside the temple are doing all kinds of wickedness. Then you're coming into the temple and you're acting like none of that stuff is going on. And then you just go through the motions of worship and somehow God's going to bless you. That's not how it works. In fact, God tells Jeremiah... Don't even pray for this people. Clearly implying that God's going to bring judgment, not protection. Judgment, not blessing. Because this people is coming into his house and they've turned it into a place of wickedness instead of a place of worship. So Jesus Christ grabs everyone's attention in the temple, and he says to them, this place is supposed to be a place of worship for everybody and anybody who wants to follow me. And then he says, what you're doing is you're turning this place into a place of wickedness instead of maintaining it as a place of worship. What they were doing is they were setting up places to sell Different sacrifice animals for sacrifices. And they're setting up this whole selling ordeal in the temple where worship was to be happening. And so Jesus is saying what you guys have set up in the place where worship is so supposed to be happening nullifies everything else that's going on. Because you're going through the motions of worship but those motions of worship don't matter. They become wickedness Because out here you're doing stuff that's preventing people from worshiping. You've set up all this stuff where worship is supposed to be happening so it can't happen where you set it all up. And so Jesus comes in and drives it out and he says, this is supposed to be a place of worship. You guys have made it a place of wickedness because you're concerned more about all these other things that are actually nullifying the very things that are supposed to be going on here. You're living in a way that's not consistent With the actions of worship that are to occur in the temple. And Jesus Christ says, you've turned it into a place of wickedness. Now, notice what happens next. Back to Matthew chapter 21. Can you hear the the echoes of judgment here? That come out of what Jesus Christ has pointed out. This is what it should be. This is what you've done with it. And you look at Jeremiah 7, it's clear the judgment is in mind. Now look at the next thing Jesus Christ does here in verse 14. It says, the blind and the lame came to Jesus in the temple and he healed them. All right, think about what's happening. Jesus Christ is coming in the temple. He's torn it apart. He's got everybody's attention. And the first thing he does is says, you should make sure that worship happens in this place. That the celebration of the presence of God occurs among His people because God is among His people. But what you've done in this place is you've turned it into a place of wickedness. And so Jesus then receives all these people who are broken and He heals them. Think about that. Jesus Christ has come into Jerusalem with the king's entrance. He makes his way to the temple. Who is Jesus? He is the image of the unseen God. He is the presence of God. And the first place Jesus goes is the temple. God instituted the temple from day one The tabernacle before that, in order that his presence might dwell among his people. And his people, because they experience the overwhelming grace and blessing of the presence of a God who dwells among them, that his people, because of that, would actually worship God and celebrate the privilege of knowing and experiencing the God Most High. And so Jesus comes into his temple. The presence of God is in the temple like never before in the history of the world. And Jesus brings people to himself who are broken, and he heals them you know what happens? People who have never seen before are seeing. People who have never walked before are walking, are running. I suspect they're even dancing. I mean, they're going crazy in the place. And what they're doing in response to what Jesus has done, unveiling the presence of God, is Worship. So Jesus comes in, he drives out all the junk, he grabs their attention, he says this should be a place of worship, you've turned it into a place of wickedness, now let me show you what this place ought to be like when the presence of God is here, and he heals people and they're actually going crazy with worship because they've experienced the life-giving grace of God in the presence of God in the temple, and they're worshiping Jesus Christ. Do you catch the picture here? Jesus Christ has shown them what worship should be like. It should be His people experiencing His presence in such a way that it changed their lives and they give appropriate praise to God for it. That is worship. And that's exactly what happens. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Well, the chief priests and the scribes are there. They're watching what's happening. Let's see what they do. Verse 15. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. Do you see that? That's the worship. They're going crazy. Hosanna to the son of David. The leaders became indignant. Okay. Jesus come in, turned everything upside down, said, here's what you should be doing. Here's what you are doing. Let me show you what this really looks like when people worship. And the leaders are sitting there going, we're hacked off at you for doing this. Now, why are the leaders so angry at this moment? Well, They don't like hearing these kids, which is just representative of the worship that's happening in the temple. Matthew's giving us just a small slice of what's occurring in this moment, but he's given us the slice that most accurately portrays the praise due Jesus' name. Hosanna to the Son of David. Praise be to the Messiah, the one sent from God. Praise be to him. Praise is happening there. And these leaders don't like it happening because. They, these kids are giving praise to Jesus who has come into the temple, who has received a king's welcome into the capital city, the city of David. They don't like it because if all this thing is playing out and it's really happening, then Jesus really is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Messiah, and they don't like him because he's not the kind of Messiah they want him to be. They're mad. And so then they're going to ask Jesus a question. Has that worked out so good for them in the past? Not a real good chance it's going to work out this time. They said to him, verse 16, Do you hear what these children are saying? Now, I love that question. Because it reminds me of conversations that can happen between A husband and a wife at times. It reminds me of a statement like this. See if you've ever made this. Do you see what your kids are doing? You ever done that? And when you do that, you expect your spouse to do something about it. You're making a statement. Do you see what your kids are doing? In other words, can you take care of that because they're your kids right now? You you ever done that? Well, that's, that's what the scribes and the chief priests are doing just now. They've just said to Jesus, do you see what these kids are doing? Implying, why aren't you doing something about it? And you better put a stop to this behavior. I love Jesus' response. Check this. Do you see what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. So? Yeah, I see it. And then Jesus asks the leaders a most significant question. He says to them, have you never read? Now, you ought to understand that. We've heard that before. This is not a good thing. Of course they've read it. This is rebuke. Have you never read? This is a question that does not need a response It will be a question that makes a statement that is significant to stand on its own. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies? You have prepared praise for yourself. Jesus quotes again from the Old Testament. Psalm chapter 8. A psalm that is written in praise of God. And Jesus says to the leaders, Have you not read that God has prepared praise for himself out of the mouths of children? Do you catch the significance of that statement? The leaders have just said to Jesus, Put a stop to this behavior. These children should not be giving you praise in the temple. Jesus says, their praise is most fitting when it's directed toward me. The presence of God is here in the temple, and I should be receiving praise. Jesus just laid down a sledgehammer of truth. Have you ever taken a sledgehammer and smashed an ant? I mean, that's what just happened. Crushing truth. Incredible declaration. And then, verse 17 Jesus left them, went out of the city to Bethany, and spent the night there. I don't blame him. (laughs) He just made an incredible proclamation and claim to who he is in the most important place. At the most important time. He's not mere prophet. He's not some potential king. He's not some supposed claim to the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. The Lord of lords. The presence of God unveiled in human flesh. That we might know who God is. And he deserves our worship. What is Jesus doing? When Jesus comes to the temple in Matthew 21, what exactly is he doing here? Think with me what has happened in the temple so far. It's outside the holy of holies where Gabriel comes and announces the birth of the forerunner to the Messiah. It's in the courtyard where Simeon holds up the baby Jesus and says, behold, my eyes have seen salvation from the Lord. Hey, light to the Gentiles and glory to my people, Israel. It's at the highest point of the temple that Satan brings Jesus and tempts him to reveal himself before it's time for him to unveil exactly who he is. It's surrounding this temple where things have been happening, pointing to the Messiah. And it's right here where Jesus walks in and he cleans house in order to prepare for the days approaching the cross. He is journeying to the cross by way of the temple. And what we're going to see in Matthew is that Jesus every single day is going to be coming into the temple. He's going to be preaching and teaching the truth of who He is and who He will be when He returns. He is making this declaration right from the temple. This is the temple's most glorious and mighty day. When Jesus Christ, the presence of God, stands in the temple and proclaims, I'm coming back and I'm coming back in glory. Do you see what's coming here? Jesus is preparing this place to be his pulpit in preparing his journey to the cross. And his journey to the cross is going to unveil for us both judgment and incredible hope. Jesus Christ is going to every day come to this temple, begin to teach and teach. And one of the things he's going to communicate is the temple is going to become obsolete. Someday, in the next few days, Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. And when he is crucified, he will, in essence, judge the validity of the temple and make it obsolete. This place that was made for the presence of God is no longer necessary because Jesus Christ is is the temple of God. In other words, He is the dwelling presence of God with His people. This place is not needed. It is obsolete because Jesus Christ is entering a more perfect tabernacle. One not made by man's hands. One that's made in heaven. And He is going to prepare redemption for those who trust in Him. Not through the blood of goats and bulls, but through His very own blood. He's going to shed His blood so that we might experience redemption because he is the temple and the old one is obsolete he's going to judge that as done the old covenant has passed and the new covenant has come Jesus Christ and that is great hope for you and me because Jesus Christ died and rose again he promised that everyone who puts their trust in him will receive His Holy Spirit indwelling them. You know what that means? That means that every single person in this place who is trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has received the indwelling Spirit of Christ, which means that we all are temples of the Most High God where we might experience on a daily basis the presence of God the promises of God, the grace of God, the abiding hope that comes from knowing God, and that we might experience all those things so that every single day we might live lives of worship, celebrating the privilege of having the experience of the Most High God with us every single day. Do you see how much better it is that we don't have the temple, but Jesus Christ declared He is the presence of God, and then He sent His Spirit to indwell us so that we might have every day the life-changing presence of God with us So that we might actually be enabled to live lives of worship every single day. It's always been God's heart from day one of creation. That he would dwell among his people. And his people would experience him. And know him. And be a light to the world. A priest to everyone else that they might see that God can be known. And now Jesus Christ has made it sweeter and better than ever before by sending His Spirit to dwell in each and every one of us that we might know the abiding, true, real presence of God and live lives of worship, celebrating, celebrating and rejoicing that we experience the real, true, almighty God. Do you understand what you have as a believer in the presence of God with you? You have the ability and the opportunity and the privilege to live a life of worship. That's who you are. And it gets even better. Not only do we have the presence of God abiding in us, but when we gather in a place like this, that we call a church building, it's not the building that makes this place special. It's not you and I who makes this special place special. It's the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit that is with each one of us when we come together corporately in the name of Christ that we experience the manifest presence of God in this place where we can be healed, where we can be forgiven, where we can be convicted, where we can be changed, we can be delivered. We can experience the presence of God as His people gathering here in a way that changes us and we because of that can together worship with fervor and excitement and joy and we can show the world that Jesus is alive. That's what we get. Do you see how significant it is that Jesus Christ set up this whole thing that's going to flow in Matthew 21? He said, I'm going to prepare for something you can't imagine. I'm going to pay the price that you may have the spirit indwelling you and that you may be a people who truly worship because a life of worship is the best kind of life. Jesus Christ made the way and that's what we have before us as God's people. Listen to me. If what we have now is better than what they had in the temple and Jesus Christ warned of judgment because they had turned a place that was meant to be for worship into a place of wickedness. Don't for one second think that we can get away with turning this temple into a place of wickedness when it is meant to be a place of worship. Don't for one minute believe that we can turn this place into a place of going through the motion. When outside this room we're not living and honoring God, don't believe for one second we can go through the motions in this place and get away with it. God is not a God who will be mocked, He gave His Son, He shed His blood that His presence might indwell us and that we might be a reflection to the world that He is who He says He is. Our worship is critical to the declaration of the glory of God. He is not going to play around with our going through the motions. He wants us to be authentic worshipers. He wants everyone, anywhere, who joins themselves to Him to worship Him. And what He does not want us to do is turn this place of worship into a den of wickedness. He's not going to let us get away with that. And I praise him for that. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversary. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jesus is very serious about where his presence dwells. we should be no less serious. When we come into this place, the substance of what we do here finds its reality, first, in the promise of God's presence to be with us, secondly, in our heart's response to Him. And so much of that has to do with what you're doing every single day in the presence of God. Are you living a life of worship? Because when you come into this place to join in worship, how you've lived that life of worship has everything to do with what we experience in this place. If you've not lived that life of worship very well this last week, and you come into this place with humility, brokenness, and repentance, and a desire to be faithful to the God who forgives. Who indwells you even though you failed Him. Who forgives you because of Jesus Christ. Strangely enough, when you've lived a life of worship in a way that you feel like is really good and well, this last week when you come into this place, you come into the presence of the most holy God. And what you did last week doesn't look all that good. And so you come humble and repentant and broken and crying out for the mercy of God and celebrating His presence in the midst of your brokenness because Jesus Christ died for you and you celebrate and you worship because true worship is a better way. By the way, this is not the end of the story. In the same way the temple It's just a shadow of what we have now, and what we have now is so much better, so what we have now is just a shadow of what is to come, and in no way compares to the glory of knowing and abiding in the permanent presence of the glorious Christ. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 21, Verse 3 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away, then drop down to verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed and they will bring glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ will rescue His bride, will rescue those who live lives of worship now and forever and ever we will enjoy the perfect presence of God in complete fulfillment and satisfaction in the person of Christ. There is coming a day when worship will be perfect and we will be so satisfied in the glory of God. But let me tell you, the only people who will experience that day, the day that each and every one of our souls long for, the only people that will experience that day are the people who live lives of worship now. Worship. True worship is the better way. And Jesus Christ has offered you an invitation into that kind of relationship.